Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast looking at Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended target audience, but still captivated by those glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson. And I am Stephen Alexander. Hello, Steve. I'm glad to see you haven't deserted me today. (laughs) Well, I was thinking of marching out, but I thought better of it in the end. That's a a little clue. (laughs) I'm very excited for these episodes. Yeah. We've got a two-parter that actually fits into a single podcast. Hooray! It's the first, it, well, yeah, it's not, it, it is just about the first time. Normally the two or three parts. We had three parters. We had the initial three-parter. We had the ultimate evil. Ultimate doom. Ultimate sorry, doom. The ultimate doom. And now here we are at Desertion of the Dinobots, which fits neatly into the two-part slot. Just after Megatron's master plan, which actually we haven't recorded yet. Yes. So never mind. So yeah, so do you, this was one I had on VHS to some extent. It's not, I don't think I watched it as much as the other ones, but there are bits of the first episode I remember very well. Is this one you remembered? Uh, No, not really. I only had two Transformers tapes when I was uh, a kid. One was Arrival from Cybertron, which of course I watched the hell out of. And the other was The Girl Who Loved Power Glide and Call of the Primitives. Yes, the girl who loved Power Glide. Yes, that was another one. When I rewatched it, it was like I've seen this. I've seen this a dozen times. It's very familiar. Yeah. yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to getting to those two. But Desertion of the Dinobots. No, I didn't. I don't remember this one from my childhood at all. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a real cracker by Earl Cress. By Earl Cress, indeed. Uh, and we start off at EJK Research Lab, which, according to TF Wiki, was named for him because those are his initials. And there's a strange white jet flying through the air, but it's not Skyfire or any other Transformer. It's uh, apparently an Ultra Jet being remote controlled by Professor Green. Yeah, he's standing on top of a hill. Uh, Jason, what's he wearing? Well, he's a scientist, so he's wearing a white coat, of course. Naturally. Because how else do we know he's a scientist? <laughs> I love how much that upsets you. Ah. Uh. <laughs> But he's also being watched by Prime, Jazz, Hound and Mirage. Professor Green, he didn't stay doing planes and jets and science. He uh, went on to become a multi-platinum selling rap artist and the patron of the suicide prevention charity Calm. Did you know that about Professor Green? I did not know that about Professor Green. Where on earth did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I was trying to remember if Professor Green was one of the characters in Cluedo. But it turns out Professor Green is actually genuinely a platinum-selling rap artist. Although he doesn't <laughs> look like it in this. And then we cut to the first of many rather weird things that goes on in this episode. Because Ironhide is sitting in his vehicle mode with his back door open. And in the back of Ironhide are Blaster and Soundwave. Now, how the hell did Soundwave get in there without anyone seeing? And why is Blaster just sitting there with Soundwave right in front of him? It's really mysterious. There's definitely a setup to this where it's just some scientist who's gone in there and said, oh, put the cassette deck in the back of the RV. Yeah, I can do that. Oh, there's another one. I'll put it in as well. But it's very, very odd. And he ejects Ravage and then Blaster just transforms and grabs Ravage by the tail. Now, this and a number of other things make me think that the desertion of the Dinobot should have come a bit earlier in the series. Okay because that would have made a great introduction for Blaster. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) Uh, But then Ravage turns and jumps on him, and you end up with Blaster laying on his back, kicking his legs out of the back end of Ironhide, which is hilarious. 
That's is is so weird having a transformer having a fight with a tr- another transformer inside a transformer inside another transformer. <laughs> it's very 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 meta, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Soundwave transforms and runs off to join Megatron and Starscream. Yeah. Bizarrely, Ironhide is completely unaware of this. <laughs> <laughs> Just missed it. Of all the Autobots, I think Ironhide enjoys being in his car mode more than all the others because he just seems to be totally oblivious. He's laying there and having a great time. And then Soundwave runs off to join Megatron and Starscream, who are watching from another hilltop somewhere. Yes, not very far away. And makes possibly the most pointless report we've ever heard Soundwave make in the entire series to this point, when he walks up to Megatron and says, Ultrajet complete, Megatron. They're watching it fly. I think they've probably figured out it's complete already. <laughs> so they're not very happy about this Ultrajet, are they? No, which suggests that this uh, this human facility has actually created something that could be a significant threat to the Decepticons, which would be a first. And uh, Starscream wants to blast it. Megatron says, no, no, we must be more discreet and hands him a little bomb. Yeah. And Starscream... Again, a slightly weird bit of dialogue, asks, since when has discretion mattered to us? Well, you guys do spend a lot of time sneaking around in disguise as human vehicles. That seems like discretion. I I am, at this point, thinking back to the episode Day of the Machines, where Megatron went on his own stealth mission, which involved hiding very carefully in, in a variety of really devious ways, and then just using his fusion cannon to blast holes in walls. <laughs> this is typical Decepticon discretion. Discretion, indeed. But of course, Starscream takes the opportunity to suggest that maybe Megatron is getting weak before he transforms and flies off with the bomb, just in case we've forgotten that Starscream is constantly on the lookout for weakness in his leader. Finally, finally, Ironhide <laughs> figures out that something weird is going on behind him, <laughs> and Ravage runs off. Ironhide transforms, which throws Blaster out onto the floor, <laughs> and Ironhide doesn't apparently realised that Decepticons are involved at all until Blaster says he was rocking and rolling with Savage Ravage. Yeah, which is a great uh, It's a great line. And another great introduction for Blaster, that he's got this cool way of talking with lots of rhymes and bits and pieces in. That's really good. But he says, we must notify Optimus Prime. And this apparently means running over to talk to him instead of using any kind of radio communication or anything that they've used before. Yeah, but they're too late because Starscream's up there and he very discreetly flies over the jet and drops the little bomb on it. And seconds later, it's bye-bye Ultra Jet. Yes, I looked this up because I was so curious about some of the weird things that happened in this episode. Apparently, there was a deleted scene that showed Professor Green demonstrating the range of the Ultra Jet by having it fly way over the hills and into the distance where no one could see it, which explains why none of the Autobots or Professor Green noticed this F-15 jet appear out of nowhere, fly over the Ultra Jet and then zip off again. Yeah, well, it's a well-known fact that when they were editing these Transformers cartoons, they'd look for scenes that made sense or explained something and make sure they got rid of them because it's so much more fun. (laughs) But it's just like, why is this happening? The weirdness doesn't let up because Optimus Prime is told that the Decepticons are around and says, oh, let's go and inspect the wreckage of the Ultrajet. What, 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 not, don't go and look for the Decepticons or anything like that? uh. And then he gives an order that makes me laugh because he says, transform and roll out. And Blaster is there now. Blaster isn't rolling anywhere. Yeah. They, they've had some recent additions, just with Perceptor as well, some recent additions to the Autobot ranks that make the rollout command a little bit... It's a little bit, I don't know, is it ableist? 
<laughs> it certainly excludes poor old Blaster, but luckily Ironhide transforms and opens his rear door and Blaster just kind of jumps in and transforms into the back of him. So there we go. And then Megatron says, now, while they're distracted. And then there's a establishing shot of the laboratory, which really probably should have come in earlier. And lots of white coated lab techs operating in some high tech futuristic computery room. Look at their lovely white, so clean white coats, ultra pristine, freshly ironed, freshly washed. Lots of Daz. White coats and not a chemical laboratory to be seen anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sort of a sandstone, sandy kind of coloured lab, isn't it? With with all the computer decks. And they've still got the tape decks, you know, the old giant rolling tape. Oh, they've things. still got the reel-to-reel tape yeah. uh, computers, yes, which are, you know, the bigger computers use those in those days, you know. It's, yeah. And of course, because this is a human facility in the Transformers universe, it's also absolutely huge. Megatron blasts his way in and just says, surrender the blueprints and we will not hurt you, which is unusually discreet for Megatron. Yeah. Uh, Starscream says, well, there's no reason to be soft with them, grabs one of them and threatens to vaporise him if he doesn't tell him where they are. And he just sort of vaguely points somewhere. And apparently that's enough information. <laughs> but he is pointing to an absolutely huge vault door. Very suspicious, isn't it? Uh, did you really need a scientist to tell you that? Yes. Yes, you did. Soundwave has a weird probe thing that comes out of his wrist which looks really bizarre we've seen it before at least twice because we saw it in the dinobot episode where they made them turn against optimus prime and we saw it when he was using it to look at women in the waterfall episode so it's definitely been in it before. It's a familiar device, actually. But all it does this time is identify the door as being six feet of tungsten steel. Again, score one for accuracy, I suppose, for the Transformers and the writers in this one, because tungsten steel is a real thing. It is used more in drill bits, cutting tools and rocket engine nozzles than safe doors, really. Um, but it has high corrosion wear and heat resistance. But it's probably not designed to stand up to a fusion cannon, and Megatron says he'll be through in no time. But he's through even sooner than that, because who turns up? Optimus Prime turns up with the Autobots, and they all get to demonstrate their special powers, which is nice to see, and turns out to be significant later. Yeah. Optimus Prime has bought the A squad, hasn't he? Because these guys are, these are the ones that have always done the best in the battles. You've got Jazz, haven't you? So what does Jazz do? Transforms into car mode and blasts them with rock and roll music, that generic 80s rock again, uh, which completely disorients Starscream. Megatron doesn't seem to be too bothered, but he's taking the mickey out of Starscream and then suddenly his fusion cannon just pops off his arm because also in the squad is Mirage. Yeah, Mirage, saviour of the Autobot race, uh, nicks the fusion cannon off Megatron's arm. And at this point, Megatron sounds the retreat already. Yes, he's waving outside the lab and Soundwave and Starscream see, oh, Megatron's retreating, let's go. And they go, what time was this retreat sounded? Well, this is at 3 minutes 37 seconds. But even Starscream's onto this because when Soundwave says Megatron is retreating, Starscream says... What else is new? <laughs> He's been listening to the podcast. Good old Starscream. Yeah. But is it actually a retreat? Or is it one of Hound's holograms? Of course it's one of Hound's holograms. And if that isn't enough, after that, Prime kicks Megatron square through the side of the building. Again, collateral damage to human facilities by Autobot activities is quite high at this stage. But that's enough for Megatron, and he actually does retreat at that point. Yep, you get the genuine retreat a few seconds later. And then we cut from all of that action and drama to a an amusement park. Yeah, obviously that's where you go after that. But who's back? Spike is back, Carly is back, and Bumblebee is back. 
What a crew. Carly has returned. We have the first in the Transformers universe recurring female character. Carly has returned. Hooray. And she seems to be quite pally with Spike, doesn't she? She does, and Bumblebee, for that matter. Uh, Which, you know, is fair enough, because that's really who she wanted to meet. I think she's just using Spike to get to Bumblebee, if you ask me. Yeah. This is one of the scenes I remember extraordinarily well, where they're sitting in the teacup ride, and Bumblebee can't feel it at all. And Carly opens up his chest and fiddles about with something. Uh, Then she closes it again, and Bumblebee's going, Way, way! And Carly's done something, hasn't he? Do you know what she's done? She's switched off his equilibrium circuits. This this woman is downright dangerous to Transformers, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> you just walk up to them, flip open their chest panels and twiddle with their circuits. I mean, that's just... Oh. I, I, I'd have loved to have seen Bumblebee late in the episode just walking about and going, Ah, oh, this is still too much! <laughs> Carly! <laughs> Do something. Switch them on again, otherwise it's going to be very difficult. Especially as later on, he's driving them to the airport. So one would hope that his equilibrium was restored before he became a car. Because they've gone to pick up Sparkplug, who has been somewhere for some reason that we never find out. And the weirdest thing in this episode, Sparkplug's wearing a suit. and A suit and tie. A really nice suit too, with a waistcoat and blue... It's lovely, Sue. Yeah. Where's he been? What's he been doing? Nobody knows. And the Earl Crest didn't think it worth bothering to tell us. They just needed an excuse to go to an airport because while they're there, they spot two very familiar looking military jets. And what are military jets doing in a civilian airport? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? All things considered. All things considered indeed, especially as we immediately recognise them as Thundercracker and Thrust. Well, I immediately recognise them as Thundercracker. And one of the other guys. Oh, God. The other guy. Seriously, one of them's red, one of them's white, one of them's blue. How can you not figure them out yet? Good grief. <laughs> okay, I think, I think I've got Thrust down. Thrust is the red one, yeah? Thrust is the red one, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so it's only two to go, so I'll pick those up eventually. Don't worry. But, yes, so they, they're going into this hangar, which has the word hangar written across it in huge letters, just in case anyone at the airport didn't know the hangar was a hangar. But it turns out it's not a hangar. Somehow, again, who knows how... Megatron has converted this into some kind of temporary base because the interior of the hangar is full of the purple Decepticon computer controls. Hey, maybe maybe it's named in honour of uh, James Hangar, the famous uh, airline pilot who died tragically saving lots of people. Probably not. Right, so all the Autobots are busy. Nobody's got time to do anything because they are actually patching up the damage they've done at the... EJK base. Yes, they are. And they're too far away to help out. So Prime radios the Ark and Wheeljack says they're understaffed at the Ark as well. Rubbish. I'm not sure why. Because Bumblebee's at the airport. Prime has got Hal, Mirage and Jazz with him. But where are uh, Hoist, Grapple, Ironhide, Windchill, Trailbreaker, Ratchet, uh, Inferno, Red Alert, Huffer. Gears, Huffer... Yeah, they are well stocked <laughs> with Transformers. So they're understaffed at the Ark. So Prime says, well, send the Dinobots. And the Dinobots are in a cupboard again. <laughs> Open the Dinobot cupboard every time. It's no surprise that they're so cheesed off in this episode. You know, they why, why didn't you just leave them on Dinobot Island? And this is another reason why I think this episode should have been earlier in the series and maybe was intended to be earlier in the series. Oh, yes, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Because Grimlock no like orders. Me slag no like anything. What a great line. <laughs> I, that is great. But my favourite is is later on where Wheeljack says, well, we really need your help. Why won't you help us? And Grimlock just goes, me don't know why not. 
<laughs> so we go this time. <laughs> Why you keep us in this cupboard? Well, yes. <laughs> Why we have to stand still for months on end between episodes? <laughs> <laughs> and another bit of this must have come or supposed to be coming before Dinobot Island thing. Wheeljack says he's got to work on their personality circuits, which is exactly what he had been doing at the beginning of Dinobot Island. So Continuity. I reckon somebody switched these two parters around. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, Dinobot Island works as a good introduction for a couple of other characters because they introduce themselves by name and so on, and they also feature in this episode. So the continuity is a bit snarled up. (laughs) Slagged up. Um, Swooped up? No. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to keep slagged up in this either when I edit it, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Sludged up. Back at the hangar at the airport, Starscream and Megatron, I'm reliably informed, are watching Transformers on the television and loving the episode. Again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're loving it almost as much as we are because it it is fantastic. And the Dinobots are hiding (laughs) behind a jumbo jet and scoping the place (laughs) out, which is, you can see their little tails and bits poking out over the top because they're so huge. So nobody's explained to Starscream what actually happened because Megatron wants to go back and get those plans for the Ultra Jet. And Starscream still thinks that Megatron retreated too early. (laughs) He didn't. Didn't he tell anyone what happened? And then I, I thought this was hilarious. Snarl bursts in through one of the hangar doors. So it's got big double doors at the front. Yep. Snarl bursts in through the one that's on the left as we look. And then Slag bursts in through the other one rather than going through the opening that Snarl just made. That is perfect for their characters, isn't it? It really is. I mean, Starscream's not impressed with Megatron's idea of a secret hideout if even the moronic Dinobots found it. Yeah, Yeah. it's looking really bad. for. And this battle is... This episode is great for many, many reasons. And this battle is definitely one of them because it is the Dinobots absolutely trouncing the Decepticons. Oh, completely and totally. Slag's fire breath melts one of Starscream's lasers from his arm. Blitzwing is about to shoot Bumblebee, but Sludge just kicks him into the hangar. Snarl waves his tail and smacks Rumble right into Megatron's face. Thundercracker and Thrust tease Grimlock by swooping around him, but they fail to notice Swoop who drops a couple of bombs on them from above and they crash into the hangar and reduce it to a pile of rubble. Yeah, I thought that bit was really cheeky as well because you almost get that bit in the title sequence where he chomps on thrust. Almost. Almost, <laughs> and he just goes past ever so slightly. I love that. That was so cool. So close. Megatron is lying in the wreckage and orders the Decepticons to charge. Which was a and shock. And they do. It, it was a yeah. shock for me because normally at this point he would say, retreat. Yeah, but no, he's not having it this time. No, he's going for more. But that goes about as well as you'd expect. Thundercracker and Thrust get tossed across the tarmac by slag. And props to the people who built the planes on this airport because they smack into the back end of a jumbo jet, which doesn't even get dented. Starscream gets a taste of his own medicine because he's zapping Snarl, but Snarl just reflects his laser beam back at him with his massive back plates and so starscream gets caught presumably by the null ray that zaps him yeah and then megatron suffers the ultimate humiliation as grimlock grabs him by the backside and hurls him into the passenger terminal yeah it goes smashing through some glass and uh, upsets or disturbs some uh, passengers who are waiting for their flight fortunately there's nobody around except spike spark plug and carly are there yeah in the airport passenger lounge, who are then immediately back on the tarmac next to Bumblebee and the Dinobots. So there's a slight animation cock up there. 
But within a few seconds, I literally within probably about 20, 30 seconds, the Dinobots have absolutely trounced the best of the Decepticon army. The army's lying in ruins. There's minimal collateral damage, as you say. The Boeings aren't damaged. There's some glass broken. Not too bad. And I'm not sure you could call the complete destruction of a hangar minimal collateral damage, but... Ah, uh, but it's a Decepticon hangar. Well, it wasn't originally, was it? Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> James Hanger's family are going to be very upset. And then, yeah, they're, they're happy. So the, tra- the Dinobots transform and Grimlock declares himself the greatest warrior. Yeah, and he's right. And then what happens? Well, the Decepticons are playing Roboto Possum, as we saw in an early <laughs> episode. <laughs> Megatron gets up and says, now they're vulnerable in their robot modes. And Skywarp shoots a single fuel tanker and there is an enormous explosion. I cannot tell you how big this explosion is. So how big is this explosion? What blows up first? Fuel tanker blows up first, which then causes the nearby jumbo jet to blow up, which also then causes another two to blow up. There's a massive, basically a huge chain reaction, and it blows up the planes, and there's a huge explosion that hurls the Dinobots, all of them, into the air. Yeah, somebody loses an arm as well. Yeah. Um, Somehow Bumblebee, Spike, Sparkplug, and Carly are entirely unscathed by this explosion, but the Dinobots are wrecked. Yeah, Megatron and the Decepticons fly off triumphant. Yeah, I didn't time this one because it's not a retreat. It's a victory. It's not a retreat. They've won. Yeah. So Red Alert, Hoist and Inferno arrive to clear up and they steal a plane and cart the Dinobots off in it. They do, yes. I'm going to be a little bit picky at this point and mention that the explosion of the planes blew the roofs off all the passenger cabins. Mm-hmm. But that's not where the explosive fuel on a jumbo jet is actually held. So That's true, isn't it? That is blatantly yeah, true. <laughs> that is not what should have blown up, but never mind. Inferno bizarrely opens a hatch in his cab to point a hose out, rather than use one of the many fire hoses he already has. <laughs> He's got extra places that water comes from. He just loves to spray things. Apparently so. Hoist loads all the Dinobots into the plane to tow it back to the Ark, and Red Alert does nothing except say, I told you so, a couple of times, basically. Well, based on, well, I, does this come before the Big Red Alert episode? Nope. 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 This is, this is after the Big Red Alert episode, but yeah, there we go. Yeah. So they've taken the Dinobots back to the Ark, and the weirdness of the episode continues, because Ratchet is complaining about the primitive tools that they have to repair the Dinobots with. Now... This is slightly odd because the Dinobots were constructed with whatever tools they had in the Ark to begin with. Of course. So why it should be a problem to repair them with those same tools, I have no idea. Even more weirdly, Hoist says the tools on Cybertron were vastly superior. Now, this would not be especially weird, except for the fact that the tool he is using as he speaks has evidently replaced his own hand. So it's one of those retracting hand, extending tool things. So it's his own tool, and he's complaining that it somehow is worse than one on Cybertron. It's attached to you, for heaven's sake. (laughs) It's a part of you. Yeah. But, of course, Earl Cress has obviously read his uh, screenwriter's guide, and he's got to the chapter on foreshadowing. And he's read that chapter, and he is taking it to the nth degree here. So just a little mention of Cybertron, the planet where we came from. Yes. Mirage says everything was better on Cybertron. That's a nice little callback because Mirage always had a very strong desire to go back to Cybertron. He did. And he nearly made it on that very 
third episode back on the Decepticon spaceship all those years ago. He did, yes. And he calls up a picture on Cyber- of Cybertron on the monitor on Teletran 1 and gets all nostalgic. And then we see a nice close-up of a cityscape on Cybertron and a weird robot that we've never seen before that transforms into some kind of flying saucer thing but isn't any of the ones that we'll come to know later. No, no. And also, uh, later on, we get a lot more of these odd-looking robots in the uh, second part of this. But they, to my mind, they've not had toys. And that's unusual for these early G1 cartoons. Yeah, it is. But then we go back to the airport and the Autobots are repairing the damage and we get a staggeringly unlikely and only possible because this is a cartoon method of rebuilding an aircraft hangar. <laughs> I, I remember this very well as well. It's very memorable. And yeah, this is why this is how I know I never saw it before because I know I'd remember this. Ironhide shoots a layer of cement across a row of bricks. Power Glide flies in and drops bricks perfectly in a line on top. <laughs> That's an amazing bit of engineering and also utterly improbable. And they construct between them the single worst building I've ever seen. What does this building lack? A uh, door. Yep. <laughs> Windows? Yep. Uh, anything. It doesn't actually appear to be a building designed for anything in particular. It just seems to be a big square brick thing. But something's not quite right because Grapple puts the roof on and then he drops the roof and the entire building crumbles. Ooh. Partly, I'm going to suggest, because he hasn't waited for the cement to cure. Yep. <laughs> Prime tries to reassure him that everyone makes mistakes, but Grapple is just, no, 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 not me, not like this, no, yeah. no. And we also get the line uh, that I remember, oh, again, remember completely, my precision is uncanny. Tin canny is more like it. It's <laughs> powered like dumps on him. So something weird is going on, and something weird continues to happen, because out in the desert, the Decepticons are flying through the air, and Ravage just ejects and walks around in circles for no apparent reason. Cats are prone to do that, though, aren't they? They are, yes. I mean, that would be the explanation, is you, you've got a cat, basically. <laughs> what do you expect? You're lucky he's not on your back scratching your ear. Just as they're about to try and figure out what's going on, they all crash to the ground randomly, and Rumble starts hitting Megatron with his pile drivers. Yeah, he seems a bit upset. He can't stop himself. Megatron declares that he is going to get to the bottom of this because even his troops are not this incompetent. Yeah. They're not far I mean, they're off. Pretty, but... They're not far off, let's be honest. Yeah. They generally don't start hitting him randomly. So no. <laughs> That's a new one. It is. Back at the Ark, the Dinobots have been repaired and uh, we get the first bit of focus on Swoop, which I like because Swoop is going to become a very significant character later on and he hasn't really been foregrounded much yeah. Yeah. So he can transform. They're all repaired. And just in time, Prime radios in and says the Decepticons are rampaging again and the Dinobots have to go and stop them. Oh, but it doesn't go well, though. Grimlock effectively tells him to get knotted. And Slag comes up with another great line saying, Yes, yes, no! Me, Slag, agree! They will not take orders anymore. And they're going. Wheeljack says, But you, but you love to fight. Says, well, us fight when us want to. Now, goodbye. It's very polite of them. (laughs) Well, they don't hate the Autobots. But again, for a kid's cartoon, this is great drama because you can absolutely see both sides of this. Yes, the Dinobots are right in that they've just had their butts kicked and they're in a sorry state and they don't want to fight anymore. But you're also siding with the Autobots because they built them and they're part of the army and you want them to side with the Autobots. So as a six-year-old, it certainly makes you think. 
Meanwhile, at an electricity substation, the Decepticons are filling Energon cubes from the pylon because Megatron thinks that maybe bad Energon has corrupted their systems. But the Autobots arrive, and then everything goes pear-shaped very quickly. Yeah, there are loads of Autobots here. I counted Inferno, Red Alert, Hoist, Grapple, Ironhide, Bumblebee, Power Glide, Ratchet, Wheeljack, Mirage, and Jazz. And Jazz yeah. has a problem. Yeah, uh, I mean, it all goes very wrong for everybody. I've got a li- I've got bullet points here to get them all. <laughs> Jazz can't transform. Yeah, until Ironhide kicks him. And then Megatron can't say Autobots. Yeah, attack the... Megatron's blown his vocal processors, and so Starscream, that makes him the new leader, obviously, because Megatron <laughs> can't speak properly. Megatron's got a cold. <laughs> Megatron's got a cold. I am the new leader. Megatron <laughs> stubbed his toe. I am the new leader. How did you know I was going to say stubbed his toe? <laughs> great minds great minds but Starscream declares himself the new leader transforms and immediately crashes yep who's the leader now no idea well yeah Ironhide wants to use some liquid nitrogen to cool him off but his hand won't retract so instead he just freezes himself yep Mirage he thinks can still become invisible he doesn't he just goes monochrome and gets shot and wonders how people can still see him yeah which raises an interesting question for me about Mirage's invisibility can he always himself when he's invisible? That's a very good question. I was also reading about invisibility and how invisibility kinds of work and it was in relation to the computer game Quake where you can get something that turns you invisible but your eyes still remain visible because if your eyes are invisible in theory you can't see. Exactly. If light is passing through or around your eyes rather than being absorbed and reflected by the retina you're not seeing anything. Yeah. Still anyway Mirage manages it somehow. That didn't work. Ravage ejects from Soundwave and takes down Optimus Prime and then just promptly transforms back into a cassette. <laughs> yeah, Prime dumps him into a barrel, says, thanks for transforming, Ravage. It's just hilarious. Yeah. Jazz tries his sound and light show, but it just comes out as static. Blitzwing comes along and blasts a hole in the ground that Jazz falls into, but then he can't stop himself from driving straight into it. Messy. Poor old Blitzwing. So Starscream tells their leader to do something and Megatron, looking a little bit unsteady, shoots a pylon down on top of Optimus Prime. And then he jumps into the air, transforms into his gun mode and Starscream catches him. And that is a gorgeous little bit of animation. Yeah, it's for the closing sequence, isn't it? No surprise they chose it to put into the closing sequence. It's really, really nice. But they cap it in the next moment. They get the brilliant bit of animation and then they completely miscolor Megatron and it looks like a totally different gun. Yes, they do slightly mess it up. But Starscream is aiming at point-blank range, Optimus Prime. And Megatron says, I never miss at this range. (laughs) To be fair, most people wouldn't. Well, given what we've seen in the Transformers so far, it wouldn't surprise me if some of them did miss at that range. And in fact, I mean, that's a cut to a commercial. But immediately it does go wrong. He does miss. And Megatron falls out of Starscream's hand, transforms, and then calls a retreat. Yep, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. But... The retreat doesn't work. No, none of them can fly. They kind of pirouette on there and then fall over. <laughs> it, just, it, it looks ridiculous. And Ironhide wonders what on earth is wrong with everybody. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. And it's really, it's a little bit frightening because everybody's affected by this thing. It's a mess. They go back to the Ark. Oh, dear. Everyone's in such a state. Wheeljack is laid out, can't move. Optimus Prime transforms, but then can't stand up. Jazz is half stuck in car mode. Fortunately, Perceptor is stuck in microscope mode. That's lucky. But I I just want to say, while I think about it, the weirdest bit of all of this, Powerglide's head has fallen off. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so bizarre. <laughs> yes, Perceptor has identified the issue and it raises questions. No, it doesn't. It makes perfect sense to me. It raises a huge question. Okay. So the problem turns out to be that Cybertonium, an element essential to their function, is deteriorating after millions of years of being exposed to Earth's atmosphere. Now, previously, I had suggested that some of the expanded cast that happens in Series 2 is because Cybertron is much closer now after the events of the Ultimate Doom, and so maybe they just popped over from Cybertron. But clearly they didn't. Oh, no. (laughs) They've all been there all along. They've been there for four million years. Have they been in another cupboard? <laughs> Why have we never seen them before? So so now the winning theory is that they were either built... Well, they can't have been built by Wheeljack because... They can't have been built on Earth. No, they, they must Cybertron. have come from Cybertron four million years ago. They came on the Ark and they've been sat around for four million years. Maybe they were in a room somewhere and re- only recently somebody opened that door looking for the Dinobots in the cupboard. Which which cupboard did we put the Dinobots in, guys? What about <laughs> this one? Oh, no, this is for... Hey, we haven't seen these guys for ages. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's got, my theory. Got any cool car modes for us to transform into? Oh, microscope? Yeah, that'll do. Where can you find Cybertonium? Where? What's its planet of origin? Is it, is it common on Earth? It's not found on Earth. It's no. only found on Cybertron. Uh-oh. And the only way to get there is the Decepticon Space Bridge. And Jazz would be mighty surprised if they let them use it. Yeah. However, as events unfold... So somehow Spike and Carly have intercepted a transmission and they come running into the Ark. So, uh, yeah, anybody's guess how that happened. So evidently the Decepticons have figured this out as well. And Shockwave is sending a shipment of something called Cybertonium. Does that mean anything to you, Prime? Oh, we're stuffed, aren't we? Because if the Decepticons get their hand on Cybertonium, then the war will be over very quickly. It will. And none of the Autobots are in a fit state to go and get it. No. Actually, note this down in your copybook. If one side gets the Cybertonium and the other doesn't, the war will be over very quickly. Okay, just make a note of that. Thank you. So they all sit around in a state of despair for about a couple of hours. They do. And then Carly has an idea. The Dinobots are built on Earth, so they don't have any Cybertonium in them. This is a great opportunity for the humans to spring into action and take over the episode. Sparkplug and Spike use Teletran 1 to locate the Dinobots and they find them in just a field nearby somewhere. Yeah, about 40 miles away, I think they said, didn't they? Yeah, Something like that. not too far. Um, but they have to drive. They'll, they'll have to drive, but Carly has a car. Yes, it's the Luckily. return. The return of the open-top purple passion wagon. Woohoo! <laughs> and he says that Mr. Whitwicky can drive. Don't often hear them referred to by surname in this cartoon, but Sparkplug has been riding with the Autobots for so long, he hopes he can remember how to drive. Well, <laughs> he forgets a lot of like how to say... Tyrannosaurus and Stegosaurus. what's his name? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they find the Dinobots. Uh, I mean, to be fair, five giant robot dinosaurs shouldn't be too difficult to find. Just look for the people screaming. Grimlock isn't happy about being followed and he's going to crush them. Brutal. His Autobot program probably stopped him from doing that just in time, even though he wanted to. Well, it didn't, did it? Because Sparkplug says they need their brilliant help and Swoop wants to hear the brilliant part and swings down and picks up the car just as Grimlock's foot crashes down on it. So if Swoop hadn't intervened... Mm. It would be a very different series. Again, but the humans are safe. Spike explains that they need to get some Cybertonium and Grimlock somehow connects this with Cybertron and agrees to do it immediately. Not entirely sure why. Uh, 
but he's heard tales of Cybertron and Wheeljack probably reads him bedtime stories about Cybertron and he thinks it's this great... Well, before they place. close the cupboard door. <laughs> <laughs> no, night, <no>, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to the space bridge and who is at the space bridge Ooh. that raises further questions of continuity and origin stories? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are six other Transformers who appear to have been created on Earth in some continuities, and they are the Constructicons. And if that's not bad enough, there's a huge pile of green crystals in the middle of the space bridge. Of course, green it's always green crystals. Everything's green crystals. So yeah, so the Constructicons are still functional, which agrees with their origin as stated in Heavy Metal War as being constructed on Earth, but not as stated in The Master Builders, where Scavenger reports remembering Grapple's designs from oh the old days on Cybertron. So so the, the, the Constructicons may or may not be functional, but they certainly appear to be functional. And when the Dinobots arrive, there is a big punch-up. How long do you think the Constructicons last before they do the obvious? Well, not long. I think one of them gets kicked into a pile of Cybertonium and then they merge into Devastator. Yeah. Well, almost. Scavenger is not paying attention. <laughs> no, Scavenger's busy scavenging. And Sludge gives him a big kick, and suddenly Devastator's trying to fight the Dinobots with an arm missing. With one arm Devastator. And then whatever happens, I think I must have got a drink or something at this point, because I don't quite figure out how, but all the Dinobots ended up inside the space bridge with all the Cybertonium and got zapped up to Cybertron. <laughs> Do you know what? You didn't miss anything. Oh, okay. That's exactly what happened. Somehow, all the Dinobots <laughs> end up on the space bridge and going off to Cybertron. And uh, the Guardian of Cybertron, the Invincible Shockwave, he's not very pleased to see them when they get there, is he? No, he's a little bit surprised. And unsurprisingly, he doesn't last long against them. No, it's, it's a bad day to be Shockwave. Back on the Ark, Sparkplug can't find the Dinobots, so he calls Grimlock who says, who called Grimlock on Cybertron? What are, you, what are you doing in Cybertron? Get back. Bit of mission creep going on, Grimlock. Yeah, and Grimlock refuses. He's never going back to the fussy Autobots. <laughs> like he calls them fussy, rather yeah. than those guys who nearly got us killed a couple of hours ago. So Carly says they've got no choice. They'll have to go back to Cybertron themselves. So Spike and Carly get in Carly's car. And just before they go, Sparkplug gives Spike a little two-way radio, which sticks onto the end of his thumb. Devastator is useless, frankly, because Carly basically just floors it and drives straight past him into the space bridge. Yeah. Now you say Devastator is useless. I say Carly is astonishingly brilliant. There's more of this to come that we'll discuss next episode. Shockwave reports there are more stowaways in the space bridge and this time we will be ready. And indeed he is ready because he is aiming his left gun arm at the door. And in his other hand, he is holding a small version of himself in gun mode. Yeah, mini-me shockwave. And he fires at the door and there's a huge explosion. And that's the end of the episode. Yep, the doors explode. Spike and Carly are definitely dead. What a cliffhanger. We don't even get a preview of the next episode, unusually. Yeah, no, there's nothing to tell you that they survived. Or, or they might have survived. I don't know. What's going to happen next? Mm, very difficult. Who knows? But that's end of part one. Okay, the next episode goes on a very different track. So I'm just going to say, what an episode. What an absolutely stunning episode. It's so great to see everybody doing their party trick and then see it going wrong. There's so much going on. I mean, we've hit the 50-minute mark on our chat. I know we'll edit this, but when I had this on VHS, I thought this lasted about two and a half hours. 
Yeah, there is so much in it. And I think possibly one of the largest casts of characters that we've seen so far is. And it's somehow as well, it's got all these people in it, but they've all got things to do. So no one is really superfluous. Everyone gets a little moment. But I still think it belongs earlier in the run because this follows on very nicely from the previous appearances of the Dinobots, where every time Prime called them, Grimlock would say, ah, you're always calling us to get you out of trouble. Yeah, they really they really do rely on the Dinobots. I love there's an absolute yeah. smorgasbord of characters, especially I think parents must have been ruining this episode because the next trip to Toys R Us after watching this episode must have been a very difficult one. <laughs> So who is your man of the match on part one? Well, it's very difficult because there are so many characters in it and so many get good things to do. But in the end, I went for somebody who made a remark which I thought was, was utter genius. So it's Slag for the line, Me Slag no like anything. Which I adore. <laughs> what, what, what a great character moment. What, Jason, have you got a sensible choice? Uh, it's Carly because she's the one who realizes that the Dinobots will still work because they don't have any Cybertonium and she's the one who leads the charge up to Cybertron to get them back I I, I resisted choosing Carly because it's just too easy for her she's too good so I I went for Slag and said but there we go so that is Desertion of the Dinobots it certainly is then I guess we should move straight on into part two So, what what's the second episode called? Believe it or not, it's called Desertion of the Dinobots Part 2, also written by Earl Cress. And, yeah, we open up with, oh, I really, really, really want to not criticise this episode because it's so good, but... Are you not a fan of Flash Gordon? Not the film, but the adventure serial. I've never seen it, but I'm sure it does very much the same sort of thing. I know that basically every serial that has an extended run of cliffhangers at some point will do this. It totally, utterly cheats. Outrageous. So at the end, the end of the last episode, Shockwave fired his weapons into the door of the space bridge and a massive explosion engulfed the entire area. And in fact, at the beginning, we get a recap of the previous episode, which repeats that very same sequence. And then... The door of the space bridge is closed, it opens, and then Shockwave very patiently waits a little bit for everyone to register that it's him, and then he zaps the car, which vanishes without so much of a puff of smoke. R.I.P. Purple Passion Wagon. R.I.P. Purple Passion Wagon. But not an explosion, nothing like what we saw at the end of the last episode, or in the recap 20 seconds previously. (laughs) Well, what what I have always thought happened here is that Shockwave was a bit premature and he got his massive guns out and he blew up the door and smashed the terminal for the space bridge and then he routed it to another similar looking terminal uh, so that he could actually do it properly this time and not blow up the space bridge. Something like that. I don't know. I admire your uh, efforts yeah. there to wriggle out of a cop-out of the cliffhanger there. Well, I, <laughs> Mind. Generally, I'm distracted by one of my favourite bits of animation in this episode where the door opens and we see we get a close-up on Spike's face and we get close-up on his eyes widening as he sees Shockwave. And I just, that is uh, such a great detail. It is a nice little detail. There's a lot of really nice animation in this two-parter. It's a really well-done well couple of episodes, I think. Carly is not impressed because that was her car, not an Autobot, and she calls him a Deceptor Creep. 
And he very obligingly just stands and watches as they run away before turning and firing after them. I can see why they left him behind now. I can I can't see why they left him behind or why they haven't won the war. <laughs> okay. Because he has a gun in his arm which pretty much vaporizes everything he shoots with it. He blasts Carly's car, it vanishes. He blasts a bank of computers, it vanishes. One of my favorite bits of the animation, they hide behind one of his robots and Spike says he won't shoot one of his own robots and the robot vanishes and there's shockwaves revealed behind it pointing his gun at them. I love oh, that. that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if he's got a gun that can vaporize entire things in one shot... How has he not decimated the Autobot ranks and declared himself absolute ruler of Cybertron? Well, okay, apart from that robot you just described, it only seems to make purple things vanish. (laughs) Dangerous. Anyway, more sensibly speaking, Spike and Carly manage to find their way into a little crack or a crevice in the wall, and they fall down in there, and Soundwave is unable to chase them into this little cubbyhole. But Carly wonders why he didn't fire after them. Yeah, and they find themselves on the edge of this big purple well with a glowing energy source at the bottom. Carly realises that this must be their master computer. Obviously, that's exactly what master computer looks like. Of course. So Spike calls Teletran 1 on his thumb radio. And I can't decide whether that's a nice little bit of plotting or whether it's just the animators cheating and not having to worry about having him carry a walkie-talkie around all the time. What I like about it is I didn't do this as a kid. I promise you I didn't do this as a kid. But if you ever got a plaster on your thumb, you could talk to it and pretend you were talking to Sparkplug and Teletran 1. There we go. That's a very specific thing you promised me, which makes me think you definitely did do that when you were a kid. (laughs) I'll leave that to your imagination. (laughs) Sparkplug answers the call and says, yep, there you are. And Teletran is constructing a simulated picture of Spike and Carly in the computer. Which looks superb, I have to say. It does. Really gorgeous. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's nice coloured outline frame kind of animation thing and bright colours. It looks fantastic. Yes. Well, Carly tries to tie into the computer to try and control the space bridge. With a key. Yeah. But that doesn't go quite to plan. Yeah, this sort of spark comes down the wire and you see it coming and the music starts up and Spike spots the spark and Carly doesn't. And oh no! She gets blasted. Down the well. Down the well, yeah. Oh, this is a, She's having a few perils of Pauline. Well, but then I would say that because it's the girl in trouble. But it, she's just... Spike got in trouble on Dinobot Island, didn't he? And Carly's, Twice. Yeah, very stupidly. So Carly's <laughs> doing the same thing here. But uh, never mind. She falls down the hole. Then there's lots of sparks and everything goes dark. And then a light comes on because Spike somehow has a torch. Or, as he calls it, a photon light, which is delightfully tautological. <laughs> but one has to wonder where he was carrying that, because... <laughs> it's quite a big torch, isn't it? It is. He points it down at Carly and says, it's brighter than any torch on Earth, as he shines it right in her eyes. <laughs> yes, well, maybe don't shine it in my face then. <laughs> <laughs> and then in, a, in another brilliant piece of uh, forethought, he goes, oh, hang on, I'll come down and join you. Well, hang, no, wait, well now what are we going to do? Yeah, they're both stuck down the bottom of the well. And what's Carly done? Oh, she's twisted her ankle. She's twisted her... Have you tw- Have you ever twisted your ankle? Yes. Okay, yes. It's not nice, is it? No. No. But that's okay, because Sparkplug says Teletram 1 has found a way out at the bottom of the room, and at the bottom of the room there is indeed a huge shaft with a ladder in it, right where the weird glowy power source thing was. So, not 
sure what that was or why there's a ladder leading underneath it. Well, actually, I'm inclined to forgive it because it's Cybertronian technology and heaven knows how it works. Uh, Carly's twisted ankle doesn't seem to be a problem when it comes to climbing down a ladder that's designed for Cybertronian robots. And they go down the ladder and into a room with a pile of Energon cubes in, which Spike wonders where they came from because he thought the planet was all out of Energon. And that's never addressed again. No, it remains a mystery to this day. Well, but then the Decepticons, A, are stealing Energon all the time and B, have a space bridge. So actually, is it that much of a mystery? Oh, I just wonder why they're down there in there rather rather mm. than, you know, being used somewhere else. But there we go. But Sparkpluck is directing them as if they're in like a game of nightmare or something. <laughs> said, no, no, leave the Energon cubes. We're not after the Energon cubes. We want the Cybertonium. Forget <laughs> the Energon cubes. We want Cybertonium. Uh, take three steps to your right, go through that door. There's a bomb, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> All the nightmare favourites. Oh, nightmare. dear oh. travellers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get to say this again. Megatron has got Shockwave on the blower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. But what I really love about this is that Megatron, Shockwave can't ship the Cybertonium with the computer down because he doesn't have control of the space bridge and that's you know fine. Megatron says, ship it or I'll reprogram you to do maintenance. As opposed to what? I mean, he doesn't seem to be doing much other than maintenance now, really, does he? Let's be honest. It'd be a bit of a upgrade for him, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it is, is like him, him calling Shockwave and saying to his space wife, I want Cybertonium for Christmas and lots of it. Yeah. Maintenance is important. Don't you knock the maintenance people. But you can knock the Sentinels, though. They're rubbish. They are, which is disappointing because they sound really ominous. Yeah. Shockwave says, I will dispatch the Sentinel to take care of the humans. That sounds like it's going to be a threat for the rest of the episode, basically. It does, but what is it? It's a weird robot on tracks, which Carly lures through a door, and then they slam the door on its head, and that's the problem solved. Yep, ten seconds of Sentinel action doesn't get a, doesn't even get a toy. What's it? What's oh, even going on there? You don't want a toy of that, do you? It's rubbish. No, you're right. I don't actually. The design of the robots that we see on Cybertron in this episode is like, who the hell did you get to design this lot? Because they don't look they don't they don't fit. They don't look like the same technology. They look like cheap knockoffs, Ooh. basically. I, do they look like the GoBot Council? No, they don't look like the GoBot Council. I'll tell you what the guards do look like when we come to it later. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sparkplug guides Spike and Carly to Wheeljack's lab. Oh, remember Wheeljack's lab? Hey, yeah, Wheeljack's lab. Uh, Carly falls over and wants to lean on Spike's shoulder, but he just picks her up and carries her. Yeah, either he, oh. either he's very tough or she's very light. And it's probably both, actually, isn't it? It's probably both. Probably both. Carly wonders how the Autobots could ever have left Cybertron. She's really thoroughly taken with Cybertron, and she wonders how they could ever have left. Seriously, were you not paying attention to the backstory? <laughs> Nobody's filled her in. <laughs> they had very good reasons for leaving, and you just, you just, just listen. I'm sure they've told you. Yeah. But I, never mind. This is a bit odd. Carly takes to Cybertron like really well she feels really at home there she feels like this this is a place for her and I think we'll come back to this shortly they spot a mysterious shadowy shape following them but they get to Wheeljack's lab and somehow Carly knows how to open the door yeah Wheeljack's lab has a big Decepticon badge above the door as well for some reason which is like a blink and you miss it moment but obviously they've yeah Decepticonized it or hidden it away somehow well, it's another one of those things which I think I mentioned way back in Roll For It when they went to Wheeljack's lab the first time. 
It's like, why are they assuming that Wheeljack's lab is going to be in the same state it was in when they left it four million years ago? <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. Carly falls against the wall, exhausted. After being carried. And then there's a big bang on the roof. Yeah, there's a knocking noise. Something's coming to get Something terrifying is coming to get them. Spike it certainly is. Looks for, goes to look for a weapon. Because he's quite, he's had a bit of practice carrying Autobot weapons. We've seen him do it before. He's carried Jazz's gun and blasted at Cybertron before. Yeah, he has, and he does indeed find a gun, and he brings it and aims it at the roof where the banging is coming from, and a huge hole opens up in the roof, and he fires again at this shadowy shape that's in the hole in the roof, and Swoop falls in. Yeah, no shoot, no shoot, no shoot. Swoop, who is about to become your favourite Dinobot. Oh, this Swoop is great in this episode. I love Swoop. And he fills everybody in. He says the other Dinobots were captured. Yeah, we're straight into a flashback. Yeah. Swoop got away because he can fly. But the Dinobots were captured by some cheap robot guards that simply overwhelmed them with force of numbers. There was a big fight, yeah. but there were too many of them. i tell you what, these guards do look very familiar, though. Okay, what do they look like? Their heads are Cylon heads from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I did not spot that. Oh, they got the eye thing. They don't have the weird flowy, uh, flashy eye thing, but they have the shape that, that it's exactly like a Cylon helmet from the original Battlestar Galactica. That is not the uh, 2003 or whenever it was remake. There's a bit of this flashback I really liked, which was when Swoop's narrating it, he says, me, get away. And it happens at exactly the same moment he says it in the flashback. So you see Swoop saying, me, get away, like panicking. But it's at the same time in the narration as well, if you see what I mean. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do, I I do like see that. what you mean, yes. And we don't see the Dinobots actually getting captured, just getting surrounded, because, of course, Swoop is narrating the story and he's flown away by this point. So yeah, He's got away. The Dinobots, he knows, though, were taken to the Cybertonium pits. Yes, isn't that fortunate in an episode where they need Cybertonium, that they've been taken to the Cybertonium? So Teletran gives them directions and suddenly Carly's ankle is mysteriously better. It is. And Spike calls attention to the fact and Carly very evasively goes, oh, uh, I, I think it's better. And nothing more is made of this at all. Perhaps she was just faking it because she wanted him to carry her. She was lazy. <laughs> uh, this is not the reason that I come to, but we'll I'll draw my conclusions later on because there's more bizarre evidence against Carly coming up. Carly likes Cybertron. The more she sees it, the more she likes it. Yeah. Spike just gets tired because climbing up steps that are built for giant Cybertronian robots is very difficult for a human. But never mind. Swoop carries them to a Cybertronic mass transit system. Yeah, there's some fun with the with the mass transit system here because it's a big car that goes through some true tubes. I love it when it, it goes zipping through along some tubes and then it comes to a junction and it rotates 90 degrees and they're pointing upwards and Spike laughs and makes a joke about Roger Houston as if they're about to lift off. And then they drop downwards instead. <laughs> and Swoop wonders why they made a weird noise. <laughs> yeah. Because they left their stomachs up there. Uh, I, okay, so this is kind of foreshadowed by the fairground sequence, almost, but not quite. But I wish it had just had that little extra bit about equilibrium circuits. That would have been fun. <laughs> uh, I think Swoop's line is great, though. Me glad me not have stomach to leave. <laughs> yeah, but they get stuck eventually at a damaged section where the tube's been smashed. Their radio communicators stop working because they're too deep inside the planet. And they find a room full of broken robots. Carly thinks that they must be the primitive ancestors of the Autobots. Unfortunately, they don't have too much time to look at it because a giant axe swings down from the ceiling and slices into Swoop's wing. 
an axe with a wooden handle slices, <laughs> comes down and slices through Swoop's wing, which is very surprising. Just a tad. But uh, never mind, it doesn't seem to bother Swoop too much. His wing's a little stiff, but it's okay. But if you see the wound he's got, it's cut right through. It looks, uh, you know, it's not going to last long. Carly realises it's an an old automatic defence system. They have to avoid triggering any more traps. Well, how are we supposed to avoid them if we don't know what we're looking for? Good point. Hmm. Well, perhaps... Not stepping through any extremely obvious light beams at knee level. It, Perhaps that would help. It possibly would spike. help, especially ones that activate squeezy walls. The doors close and then the walls <laughs> squeeze in towards them. But that's not a problem because, as Swoop says, the metal of good old days, not so good. And he crashes straight through it. No problem. Yeah, that's not really a challenge for Swoop. But the next the next trap they get caught by is a bit of a challenge for Swoop. It is a bit of a challenge. And it gives Carly and Spike a chance to show off their superhuman abilities as well. Because they've activated some missiles. There are three missiles firing at them. Mm. Now... Okay, so any if somebody fired a missile at you, you would not see it coming, would you? In any in any real sense? Uh, no, not really. That said, this is a cool action sequence. I love it very much. It, it certainly is. Swoop transforms and flies with Spike and Carly hanging onto his feet, and they main they maintain their grip on this giant metal robot through some serious aerobatics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they well, I mean, this is what I've noticed in lots of action movies is that you don't need a big heart. You don't need to be clever or intelligent to be a hero. What you need to be a hero is to be able to hold on to your own body weight and hang on very tight. That is the main requirement. See Transformers The the Last Night for a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Sue Transforms do some fancy flying, but the missiles are cashing up on him and they're heat seekers. They keep turning around to get to him. And then his wing goes bust and he falls to the ground. And it looks like the missiles are about to come in and finish him off. But he forgot he can transform. So he transforms into robot mode and blasts them with his own missiles. Yes. Not the obvious missiles he's got on his wings. Missiles that come out of his shoulders. I don't know why. Use the, use the wing missiles. Well, yeah. Or, or the lasers that you've got. Anything. You've got weapons. You've got all sorts of things. No, that, whatever. But then they go to another part of the old Cybertronian city. And this bit looks like it's been built from rock. It looks like yeah, it's been it's... built from big blocks of stone rather than the metal of the surface intriguing it's very different and they find the cybertron undercity and carly leads them straight to a viewing room and a viewer of some sort which she easily reactivates what is going on carly what is happening here i i demand answers she's just very very clever (laughs) nobody nobody is that clever i'm sorry Uh, anyway chase is that clever i mean look at what things that he's done in the past Actually, if it was Chip Chase, I'd give it a pass, wouldn't I? Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's terrible. Anyway, this viewer activates an ancient pink record disc, like a laser disc, and it tells them about the history of Cybertron. Yeah, it does, conveniently filling us in on some of it as well. Yeah, this this is very, very far in the past, and it, yeah. it's intriguing. So they say that Cybertron was a planet of peace. Then the Decepticon uprising happened. Is it implied that the Decepticons arrived from somewhere else? That's kind of what I picked up. It's not directly stated. It was supposedly going to be very clearly stated that Decepticons came from somewhere else. But it's kind of ambiguous. Uh, But because the Autobots weren't intended for combat, they're quickly overcome. And then it's stated, basically it's shown in this episode, that transformation was an Autobot invention, which they came up with to to defeat the Decepticons. 
The other fascinating bit is that many Autobots fled Cybertron, and we see lots of spaceships that are basically the same as the Ark flying off into space. So there are many lost colonies of Transformers, which is explored extensively, I think, in some of the later comics, isn't it? It's explored in the later comics, and I think it's also explored in the uh, Japanese cartoon series that followed this. The Headmasters, in particular, came from a different planet. The Pretenders and the Godmasters and what have you, they were, you know, the Pretenders were on Earth a long time ago as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's weird, but intriguing yeah, very weird i i it's is really like you he was writing some backstory and he just went off on one absolutely and fair play to him because it's a great backstory it is it's, it's good yeah kind of reminded me of the bit in the GoBots where they found a <laughs> view screen which had the backstory on it oh yeah and funnily enough that was probably made shortly after that episode of the GoBots aired wasn't it, it? yes i think it would have been yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, well. Well, although to be fair, the stumbling across a history viewer <laughs> thing with the backstory oh, on it yeah. is a pretty common trope, isn't it? It happens a lot. But Swoop, Swoop says... Well, he didn't know that before. So no, there you go. It's news, it's to, news to them. Uh, but they don't have time to watch the rest of the story because somebody blows a hole in the wall and captures them. Who the hell is this guy? He looks like a cheap knockoff as well. I've given him a cheap name. It's Bubblehead. Bubblehead. Yeah, he's he he's rubbish, frankly. Yeah. So Bubblehead is a sort of greyish, purplish robot. He's got a bubble over his head and a little robot head that doesn't really have a face on it. And his main ability is he's got a screen that comes out of his chest that allows him to speak to Shockwave. Yeah, that's it. And take orders. That's it. That, that's what he does. This yeah. guy doesn't have a toy, didn't get a toy, frankly does not deserve a toy. Because who the hell would want him in their Christmas stocking, really? I mean, he doesn't transform me, 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 or anything. Me, who, me, apart from your, obsessive completists... <laughs> but, okay, let me put it another What kid would want him in, his, in their Christmas stocking? He doesn't transform. He hasn't got any gimmicks. Nothing. He's, he's rubbish. No. He's absolute rubbish. No. If it was a choice between him and any other Transformer, it would probably be a, a Swoop. Like, if you had to choose between him and Swoop, there'd be no contest. You'd want Swoop every time. Or any other Transformer, for that matter, frankly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, so they get carted off to the Cybertronian pits, which, again, appear to be made out of rock. Yes. And they're mining and digging. And they see a big purple energy fence. And inside the purple energy fence, they see... The Dinobots. Now, this Cybertonium pits, the way they keep talking about them up until this point, you'd think they're some huge, massive mining area. They're basically just a hole about 20 feet across by the look of it. (laughs) (laughs) With a fence around it. You really need the muscle of the Dinobots to dig that deep, don't you? I think they've managed, managed, what, six inches? Yeah. The energy fence is using a very familiar sound effect as well. It's more commonly associated with the phasers in the original Star Trek series. But originally, I think, or at least the earliest thing that I've seen with it in, it's the sound of the energy beams that hold up the fighting machines in the 1953 War of the Worlds movie. And is that where Star Trek nicked it from? Yes. These utterly iconic sound effects that I've always associated with Star Trek, you're telling me they're just ripped off from a film? Yeah. I'm afraid so. You know what? I'm not doing a Star Trek podcast now. Absolutely forget (laughs) it. That is gone. 
I'm not even going to consider it. I'm just going to carry on with this Transformers, which uses those same sound effects to the third generation. Yeah. Well, they used the heat ray sound effect in a previous episode as well, Enter the Nightbird. So, you know, they're, they're mining all the sound effects. Spike says, why don't you transform and get us out of here? And Grimlock says he cannot transform. Yeah, the Dinobots are very docile all of a sudden and something's very badly wrong. Yeah, they don't want to transform. They don't want to leave. They're working for the Decepticons. Hang on, wait. This is exactly what Wheeljack wanted to achieve, isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps a little bit too docile and servile. Yeah. I don't think he wanted them that uh, placid. Weirdly, I mean, Swoop identifies there's something wrong because Dinobots no work for anyone. Weirdly, uh, I think it's Sludge who just lets Carly walk up to him and open a panel in his chest and have a look. Yeah, that's weird from uh, from both sides, isn't it? Because firstly, it's weird that Sludge lets her do that. And secondly, it's kind of weird that Carly just is able to open any Transformer and instantly see what's wrong with them. Yeah. Well, she does compare it to Swoop's internals, and it turns out they've bypassed their Dinobots' memory circuits. So it's their memory circuits that causes them to be grumpy and arrogant and rude and selfish. Apparently so. Bypassing their memory circuits has left them so docile that they don't mind when she walks up to every single one of them and tinkers around inside their chest panels. Oops. Yeah, they've gone too far, haven't they? Yeah, but he's she's reset them and Swoop wants to thank Carly for fixing the Dinobots and Sludge wants to thank her too. And Snarl thanks her too. Too, too. Sludge <laughs> <laughs> Slag apparently oh, doesn't have a thing to say about any of this. Uh, Slag's not going to thank anyone. No. But Grimlock thinks, oh, maybe helping others is okay. Yeah. Ah, he's learned an important lesson. He has indeed. Already. And then they if- scrum together to talk about a plan, and they do that classic thing of the plan is obviously to stage a fight, <laughs> but we don't see them t- discussing that, so we think maybe Grimlock is genuinely arguing for a bit because he is, no, me hate you. <laughs> Dinobot, no work with humans. And you can almost yeah. hear the irritation in Shockwave's voice because Bubblehead, if we're going to call him that, calls up Shockwave <laughs> to say, look, the Dinobots won't work with the humans. And Shockwave says, oh, but then remove the humans. Honestly, God, it's not that difficult. <laughs> but I, I have to say, actually, I think Spike's plan could have gone disastrously wrong if i was in a cage with the dinobots i don't think my plan would have been i will have a fight with the dinobots because that could very easily (laughs) end in well i wouldn't say it end in tears it just end in blood yeah anyway so yeah so bubblehead makes his last mistake he certainly does because they turn off the energy barrier at which point the dinobots transform and let rip they massacre the guards i mean like we've seen transformers fighting before but I've never seen three Transformers killed so quickly. Yeah, this is the first time that we actually see a speaking Transformer character as well, unambiguously and completely destroyed because they are not blown to pieces in the way that we've seen Autobots and Decepticons done before, where they can be picked up and put back together again by a talented engineer. They are melted into piles of molten metal. There's not really much comeback from that when that's happened, is there? There's no coming back from that, no. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, not R.I.P., Passion Wagon, R.I.P. Bubblehead. Yeah, but now they've got to find their way, but Grimlock knows the way out, and they find another tube for a mass transit system, but Grimlock doesn't need a car. No, he doesn't need to see anything. No. Because the Dinobots, of course, have the ability to fly. They do. So they just hop into this tube and float upwards. Things really rattle along. i just give you an idea. I think we're about 19 minutes into the episode at this point. 
So the Dinobot escape is like, this is quick sharpish. At the Space Bridge Terminal, it looks like it's all going well for the Decepticons. Shockwave has got the Cybertonium ready for shipment. He has. And the Cybertonium now looks a bit different, doesn't it? It does. It now looks like green energon cubes. Brilliant. Which is weird. Just what we like to but see. Just before Shockwave tells us that he's ready, we cut back to the arc briefly for Sparkplug to fill us in on a little adjustment that they've made. Teletran has managed to hook up with the Decepticon computer. And they've adjusted the space bridge so that it will open near the arc. And then we see yes. a shot of the arc from outside on the screen on Teletran 1. And next to the arc is the ring of the space bridge. Pretty clever, isn't it? It is pretty clever. But who built that and when? This kind of ties in with the idea that maybe the space bridge terminal itself is projected somehow. That's what I think. That's definitely... Well, after this episode, that's exactly what I think, because there's no other explanation. because yeah, none of the Autobots are in a functional state to build a space bridge, so it must have been projected. They've got a space bridge terminal, so they're all ready to hijack the shipment of Cybertonia. They are. Shockwave is ready, but he tells Megatron he's lost control of the space bridge destination, and he's so busy grovelling to Megatron that it takes him forever to notice that five hulking great robots have walked into his room. <laughs> <laughs> he's got one eye he hasn't got good hearing it's shockwave exactly who you want guarding cybertron yeah I, he's useless isn't he <laughs> give us the shockwave from the comics the shockwave from the comics was awesome the shockwave who turned up at the end of the original strip and killed everyone that guy i want to see more anyway this shockwave <laughs> is oh dear oh dear oh dear yeah. he's barely got time to say intruders before it swoop knocks him over yes Shockwave manages to blast Swoop's wing, but they all pile into the space bridge. Somehow, all five Dinobots and Spike and Carly and a pile of Cybertonium fit into that little tiny space bridge room. Yeah, clown car moment. Yeah. And they go to Earth, and there's a lovely, happy reunion as they materialise on Earth with Spike and Carly sitting on a big pile of Cybertonium. That's it. They've have enough cybertonium to repair all the autobots and there's a big cheer and spark plugs delighted and then later on all the autobots have been repaired and optimus prime wants to make spike and carly honorary autobots in recognition for saving all their lives now i've got two things to say about this one is that carly doesn't appear to be terribly impressed by this judging by her facial expression and the other is what about spark plug oh yeah he was playing a part in it as well. <laughs> in fact, he and Teletran 1 were the ones who got the space bridge next to the Ark so they could get the Cybertonium. Why isn't Sparkplug being honoured this way? Either either he's already an honorary Autobot or he's the Chewbacca of the group, the one who, <laughs> who gets cruelly left aside. My comment on this is that I would, if Prime offered to make me an honorary Autobot, I would, after seeing Heavy Metal War, I would refuse on the grounds that being an honorary Autobot means that if he had that deal with Megatron where one side has to go into <laughs> deep space and he lost, I'd have to go with him. And I'm not, I'm not having that. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Carly isn't that happy about accepting the honorary Autobot thing. Prime congratulates the Dinobots on an excellent job. He does. He does the classic bait-and-switch thing, doesn't he, that happens a lot. Like, As for you, angrily... Great job, well done, yay, it's all okay. <laughs> yeah, so Slag and Snarl agree that although they don't like it, they will take orders from Optimus Prime now. And then Grimlock says, until next time, 
me Grimlock no feel like it and that's the end of the episode and oh that's a brilliant end and it's also a very sad end because the <laughs> the next time that me Grimlock no feel like it is pretty much the whole rest of season two yeah this is actually the last time the Dinobots appear until the movie I read that on TF Wiki and I hadn't realized I hadn't realized that they didn't appear again and it's it, it's heartbreaking because they've just come across as my favorite characters of all time and we ain't going to see him again. Yeah. But yeah. otherwise, otherwise, again, Elcress, what a superb episode. Yeah, it what was fun. great. It was great. It hung together nicely. It was a very straightforward plot, which made sense. There wasn't too much ludicrous stuff in there at all. There was weirdness, like, you know, at the very beginning of part one, like how, how Ironhide didn't notice Soundwave sitting mm. in his rear end. Yep. Um, <laughs> things like that. But... You can behave yourself, <laughs> but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the plot and the episode itself, yeah, it was really well done. And uh, as you said, there were so many characters, yeah. especially in episode one, and yet they all had something to do. They weren't entirely superfluous. They all had their little moments. Yeah. What really impressed me was the the how different the two episodes were. So you've got one hmm. which is like a massive ensemble punch up pile in with everyone in it. And then you've got the second episode, which has basically got Spike, Carly and Swoop for most of it. And they both absolutely sing. They both work gangbusters and are tremendous fun. This is, this is, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. These, this is the best episodes we've had. These are definitely up there at the top end of the rankings so far. And I think the fact that episode one and two do such different things really works in this story's favour. Because the previous two-parter that we had, Dinobot Island, I wasn't massively impressed with it. Um, Shock! As I think I said, it's uh, part one was fantastic, apart from Spike getting into trouble twice on the island because he's an idiot. Yeah. And part two was basically... Time warps open, things come out, Autobots push things back through time warps. Then at the very last minute, in the last five minutes, we go back to the island and deal with the Decepticons. I think, yeah, there's a lot of embarrassing stuff in part two of Dinobot Island, particularly the, I think the pirates are very embarrassing. Oh, we be wanting your treasure and your wenches too, (laughs) scurvy swabs. And actually, now come think of it, the 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 cowboys were very embarrassing, and actually, everyone who came through time was just incredibly embarrassing. So yeah, yeah, not not so much. It wasn't so great, but I maintain that that would have been a better follow up to this episode because the Dinobots. And Grimlocks, especially disgruntlement with constantly being called in to help the Autobots when they bite off more than they can chew, was being seeded through all their appearances up to that point. And this would have been a really logical culmination of that. Yeah. But never mind. Totally it's uh, no, very good. Yep. Still, still good. This was still a great episode, great two parter. I really enjoyed this one. Presumably, Shockwave was able to send another shipment of Cybertonium to the Decepticons. Oh, yeah. I, f- I, forgot, I forgot the tease to this, the, uh, the tag scene where the Autobots also say, Actually, we've also won the war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've left the Decepticons to fall apart over there. So. Yes. And the fact they didn't capitalise this on wipe out the Decepticons once and for all is a huge oversight on Prime's part. Yeah. Well, they're so busy partying. It's like, we've fixed ourselves. Hooray. We've made Carly and Spike honorary Autobots. Hooray. The Dinobots are back. Woohoo. It's fantastic. It's great. Um, oh, the Decepticons. Oh, I knew I was forgetting something. Where's that space bridge terminal gone? Oh, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, br- brilliant, brilliant stuff. So uh, I'm going to ask you if there was a person of the match. Oh, it's Swoop, isn't it, in this one? This is Swoop's episode. Okay, cool. 
He yeah. gets so much focus in this episode, and he's so nice as well. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. like, all the Dinobots, basically, all the Dinobots are loud, brash, and Swoop is like, actually, I quite like you guys. Yeah, no, he's, he's he comes across as a great character in this one. Actually, I had this was my turn to have Carly as the as the man of the match, um, because of all the things that she did, such as destroying the Sentinel finding the records, feeling at home on Cybertron, and also recovering from her mysterious twisted ankle. So uh, the theory I've developed now, after watching re-watching this now, is that she is somehow a reincarnation of Alita One, who was <laughs> Optimus Prime's old girlfriend back in the day. And and this is this is going to be something that they won't come back to or nobody else will believe. But there's too many coincidences and too many times she's familiar with Cybertronian technology for me to let that go. Okay, so she's Alita One reincarnated as a human. Uh, yeah, no, I don't buy it either, do you? Not really. <laughs> no. But never mind. That was absolutely superb. Thank you very much, Jason. It was great. I really, really enjoyed that. And I hope that everyone listening to this enjoyed it too. So on that note, I shall simply say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson, co-hosting with Stephen Alexander. We'll be back next week. Unless me, Jason, no feel like it. (laughs) Good night. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice.